and children are making their way to Children's Church, so if you have a little one that didn't get up and would like to go, run over this side, over this door over there. So uh, they have a treat in Children's Church today. My wife is doing Children's Church, and sometime during the week she said, I want you to draw me a picture. And so she came home and she had this big old white board, you know, poster board. And I said, okay, you want a picture. What do you want? She said, well, actually, I want four pictures. Okay. And I want them evenly set, you know, divided apart. So they have four pictures. Don't ask me. I know what they're supposed to be, but I don't know if that's what they look like or not. That's what they're going to see. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, a solid foundation. I don't think that there's any question in Scripture or by any theologian that would read Scripture that would understand and would, would accept that if you have faith, your faith must stand on something. If you have Christian values, they must be based upon something that is firm and unmovable. You can't say, well, mama and daddy said, well, what about when mama and daddy are gone? You can't say, well, my tradition in my country, well, maybe you don't live in that country anymore. You can't say, well, the society in which I grew up in, things change. What is the basis, what is the foundation of your faith? And have you placed your faith and that foundation? Is it one that's unmovable? One that will stand the test of time? One that's not going to depend on the political environment or the social environment or any other environment that this world may give to us or shove at us in the age to come? My, how t times are changing. Times are changing. I'm just, I'm just kind of hanging on for the ride, you know, because I don't know and can't understand and uh, there was a young man in my office this past week and and he was showing me some technology okay that's what he was doing and I'm sitting there looking at him like duh you're, you're moving your fingers too fast and you're clicking too many buttons would you slow down he looked at me and he said you're like my pastor aren't you I said, I am. I'll fix it. I said, you fix it. You fix it to where I push one button. And I can see what I need to see. He said, I'll do it. And just shook his head. Old people, what are we going to do with them? One button, that's what you're going to do with us. One button. You get it down to one button, that's technology in my view. Not 30 buttons in all kind of places. Times are changing. But in our faith, we need a foundation that does not change. We spoke and we read from the book of Psalms, the first chapter, and we, we read about the righteous man. And I think that's where we want to be. I hope that's where we want to be. If, if we're here and a part of this worship service on a Sunday morning or if we've tuned in on the radio or the Internet to listen to this service, I hope that we would say, yes, I want to be like that righteous man. I want to be planted by that river of life. I want, that's where I want to be. 
I want to know that in season and in the seasons to come that I'm going to, my leaf is not going to wither and I'm going to bring forth and bear fruit in that being planted there. I want to know that my life matters and I want to stand firm. So Paul is writing in 2 Timothy, in the second chapter, Paul is writing to Timothy, young man, a protege that Paul had literally raised in the faith. A young man with difficulties. This young man, in a modern term, we would put it as being biracial. He was half Jew and half Gentile. And neither group wanted anything to do with him. When he grew up and he was in school, he had a difficult time. Living in a community, he had a difficult time because he was different. He really didn't fit in in the culture that he was raised in. And then as he became a young man, he didn't fit in. The Jews did not want him as a part of their faith and their religion. And the Gentiles really didn't care what he was. But through Paul's preaching and teaching, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he became very strong in his faith. He was rooted and grounded in, in biblical doctrine and understanding. And Paul is in prison and Paul is about to die in Rome. And he writes a letter to Timothy. This is his last letter that Paul will write. Of all the letters in the New Testament, Paul is going to write 2 Timothy is the last letter that he writes. And he writes to Timothy, and we know that he has a heart to see Timothy again. How many times do we, do we find people in the hospital and maybe coming to, down to the end of life and, and they want to see their family again? They want to see their children or maybe their grandchildren or, or maybe their, uh, you know, their brothers and sisters that are still alive. They want to see them again, and they'd like for them to come. I get calls uh, a lot, more than I want. The phone will ring at my house and someone will say to me, Brother Kent, they've called the family in. I know what it means. I know what the words mean. It's the final hour. They've called for the family to be there together in a time in the loss of a loved one. I know what it's going to be like when I get up and I get dressed and I, and I head to the hospital. I know what it's going to be like when I get there. It's not the unexpected. Well, Paul is kind of calling the family in. He wants to see Timothy before he dies. He urges him in the last chapter of 2 Timothy to come and come before winter. Hurry up and get here and bring some things with you. I want to see you. There's no evidence in church history that, that, that Timothy ever made it to Rome, that he ever saw Paul again alive. They ever got there and they had that reunion. There's no evidence whatsoever. You could say, well, I'd like to think that he did. I would too but I don't have anything to support that with. So I can imagine the worst. I can imagine that when he got to Rome, Paul was already dead, but he had the letter. He had the word that Paul wrote by the leadership of the Holy Spirit that is the word of God. And in the fourth, verse 14, it's a, it's a very familiar passage. You heard this just a couple of weeks ago. And if you were in Awana, you heard it. It's part of that, but we're going to move past that and we're going to move on down in the scripture. So listen to what he says. Remind them of these things, charging them before God not to fight about words. This is in no way profitable and leads to the ruin of the, of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. But avoid irreverent, empty speech, for this will produce an envy even greater measure of godlessness, and their word will spread 
I like gangrene, among whom all Hellenistics and, and Felicia, they have, they have deviated from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and that overturning the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, having this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver bowls, but also those of wood and earthenware, some for special use, some for ordinary. So if anyone purifies himself from these things, he will be special instruments, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful lust, passions, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they breed quarrels. The Lord's slave must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance to know the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, having been captured by him to do his will. May God bless his word. Paul writes to Timothy a word of instruction that is not just for Timothy, but is to be passed on. It's to be handed over to someone else. To those who are hearing and those in the church that Timothy is going to continue to minister to for years to come. Paul says, I want you to instruct them in some things. I want them to know about the foundation of the Lord. And the foundation of our faith today is the Lord Jesus Christ. We step on that foundation and stand upon that foundation when we make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. When we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. When we accept that he died on the cross for our sins, knowing that we are sinners. And in shedding his blood, he made for us a way to find forgiveness and for us to be cleansed. That foundation of truth is the word of God. And we step upon that word of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the word. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. We accept that and know that to be true. So we step up on this firm, solid foundation by faith in Jesus Christ. I hope today that every person in this building has stepped up on that foundation of faith. I hope and pray that everyone that is listening on the airwaves this morning has stepped up on that foundation of Jesus Christ. He will not be moved. It is a sure foundation for ever since Christ came and died on the cross, mankind has been trying to wipe his name from the pages of history. And yet today it is a name that is called upon more than any other name. It is a name that is preached above all other names on the face of the earth. And there are more of those who sing praise to the name of Jesus than anywhere else. As our choir sang this morning, we bow our knees because Jesus is. It is that great name, a name above every name, Jesus Christ, this firm, solid foundation. But let me share with you something that happens so often in Christian faith, in Christian life. We step upon that foundation and we do one thing wrong. It is easy 
to step upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. You have to do nothing. Christ paid the price and died on the cross, shed his blood for our sins. It is Jesus who has done all the work in that saving power of mercy and grace. Jesus did that work. That foundation was not laid by the hands of mankind. It was not built by, by mortal knowledge, but by the will of God. He established this foundation. There's something that we either do or we don't do. And that is we don't attach ourselves to the foundation. We think that I can just stand there. And yet I want to tell you that the storms of life are coming. And I want to share with you and remind you there's going to be trials and tribulations. There's going to be dark, lonely hours when the, when the howling winds of this world are going to swirl around us like a mighty tornado. We'll be moved from side to side. And if we're not attached to the foundation, we will find ourselves lifted off that foundation and moved off that foundation. We'll find ourselves walking and wondering and looking again for something to hold on to. Standing on the foundation, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But let's read again and look again at what he says in the scripture in, in Psalms chapter 1. That man who is righteous and considered righteous in, in Psalms 1 is that man who is planted beside the streams of water. That tree that has put down its roots. Christians, why do we have times of Bible study? And why is it today that so many people ignore and will not attend and take part in Bible study? Why is it that having a personal, private devotion time of studying God's word and spending time in prayer is so hard and so neglected? by many who profess the name of Christ. In the June Christianity Today, you will find an article where they're comparing and giving you some statistics about individuals and this great group of people in the United States who, who will tell you that they love Jesus, but they will never attend church. Never attend church. Matter of fact, the word that they use is hate church. I want to tell you, that cannot be true. You see, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ described in the Bible. The church is the one that Jesus died for and loves. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot say that I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but I do not love the church. You say, I may not like some of the things about the church. There are things that I may want to ignore, but we must love the church. We must be rooted and grounded in that foundation. We must attach ourselves to that foundation. We become a generation maybe of individuals that wants everything handed to them. I want the easiest way possible. I want to go buy the newest and latest tool and invention that makes things easier. I was doing a little job not long ago and, and I was using a cordless drill. And I, I, I got that drill out and I, you know, just kind of attached it to my belt, went up a ladder, used it up there for about an hour. And I thought, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have these. I'd have been up here days working on this project that only took a few minutes because of this cordless drill. I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm going to keep it. Maybe the next time that I need to do that, I'll just say, I'll get somebody else to do it and find out it's even easier when they do it. 
You know, when they get up on the ladder and they sweat, they're in the sun. It's easier when they do it, and I'll find an easier way, and I'll say, you can have the cordless drill. I don't need it. I got somebody else to do it. We're people who have, who have decided we want the easy way. And yet in our faith, there is no easy way. To grow in Christ Jesus is not easy. It's a day-to-day -day struggle. It's a day-to-day -day walk. It's a day-to-day -day prayer life. It's a day-to-day -day Word of God study. It's coming to church when we don't feel like coming to church. I preached earlier this week, and in that preaching service, it was a little bit hot there, and I lost my voice. And so if I try to preach too strong this morning, I'll lose it again. But maybe I'll get it back by Wednesday. It's work. There are things you must do, and there are things you must not do. Jesus said it this way. He was teaching his disciples, and if you go over in the book of Matthew, he has been teaching to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. I had it marked, and then I moved the marker so it doesn't do any good. He's been teaching the longest teaching of Jesus found in the Scripture. You want the teachings of Jesus? Fine. Go to Matthew and start reading the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest continuous teaching of Christ in the entire Bible. And if you will do what it says to do in the Sermon on the Mount, you will do good. You will do good. But I want to tell you it's not easy. Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, long teaching. I mean, he just teaches and teaches, and he, and he talks about things that Jews have heard and have and experienced, and then he talks about how they're supposed to be. He talks about the do's and the don'ts in Scripture. He gets to the end of this sermon, this teaching. He uses one of his favorite ways of communicating. He uses a parable, and he uses a parable of two builders building on a foundation. One foundation is not good and the storms come and the wind blows and the house collapses. The other is a firm foundation and he builds on that foundation. If you've ever built a home, as a matter of fact, if you live in a home, you will know that the walls are attached to the foundation. Everything is attached to the foundation. Even the roof through the studs and the rafters and all those kinds of things, find their way back and attached to the foundation. If your house is not attached to the foundation, you live in a death trap. One of these days, something's going to slide and going to give, and it's going to collapse. You must be attached to the foundation. So Jesus uses this illustration. When he finishes this illustration, he gets down to the end of this illustration. He says, if the man, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man. The ones who hear these teachings and keep my teachings, they're going to be classified a wise man. We hear the word of God. We must live the word of God. It must be a part active in our day-to-day -day life. Paul says to Timothy as he's writing this book and he's writing this letter to Timothy, Timothy, there are some things that you can do and some things that you can't do. Let's look at the very foundation written, this inscription written on God's solid foundation which stands firm are these words, the Lord knows those who are his and Everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. 
if we belong to Jesus, then the unrighteous lifestyle, and he listed those passions and those things that we did when we were younger, those things you were involved in, youthful passions, we must forsake those and turn away from them. If we as individuals are pursuing righteousness, we have no time to pursue the passions of this world. We have no time to give ourselves over to the desires of our heart that may serve Satan more than God. We may fall into a trap that the devil has set, making us, pleasing us and becoming men pleasers rather than God pleasers. When we look at the scripture from front to back, we find out if we look at the, the commandments, we find that there are commandments of things that we are to do. Ten commandments. List in them. Look in them. In the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, we find the Ten Commandments listed there and those things that we are to do. And then there's the list of those things we are not to do. Things that we're to set our hands to and our minds to and our hearts to and do. And the things that we have to turn away from. The things that lead us down the road of unrighteousness. The things that enter into our heart and bring into our heart things that we don't need to have. If we're going to be rooted in the word of God, we're going to be grounded on this foundation and we're going to stand that test of time. Christian, some do's and some don'ts. The Bible is filled with these illustrations. From our Sunday school lessons this morning where we studied how to love one another. And we have an example that is set for us in the scripture that Christ loved us because he saw the way the father loved him. It's a do. Love one another. It's a commandment. We cannot step aside from that commandment and go somewhere else. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't talk like us. It's not about us. It's about us serving the Lord. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the foundation that we stand on that is firm and solid. Those things that we must do. And the things that we shouldn't do. I think about these passages when I'm getting ready to preach. And I, I think about sermons and I kind of roll them over in my mind. And, and uh, I, I wonder, should I say that or should I not say that? Should I get up in front of a, a crowd of people and, and say these kinds of things? Or maybe I should turn aside and, and maybe present a little bit uh, uh, easier sermon with a little bit more flour and more fluff in it, a little bit easier to look at and listen to, and with a little bit more better, better terminology and all, and make you feel good before you walk out the door. And then I read words like this, remind them, Timothy. Tell them, Timothy. Don't fight among themselves. Tell them, Timothy, not to argue. Tell them, Timothy, nothing godly comes from that kind of action. Tell them. Timothy, when it is written in God's word, do we have a choice to turn aside and do something else? Do we have a choice to ignore and neglect what is written in God's word? Or is it our responsibility standing on this firm foundation of God to take what God has said and place it in our heart and build it in our life, attaching ourselves and rooting ourselves and grounding ourselves on that foundation, the word of God. 
It is sometimes so amazing how much we do not know about God's word. Way back in yesteryear, maybe if Gail was here, she could tell me exactly, almost 40 years ago, no, 40 years ago, okay, 40 years ago. Gail and I got married in the summer between our, our uh, sophomore year and our junior year in college. And we came from Southwest uh, Junior College. They changed the name to Community College now. We came from there to Mississippi College. And we walked on the campus of Mississippi College as Mr. and Mrs. Gail Campbell. Just wanted to see if y'all were awake. We came on the campus together, Mr. and Mrs. And I had already had Bible in junior college, and Gail decided that because it was required at Mississippi College to take Bible. Everybody must take Bible. Simple Bible course, New Testament, Old Testament, you had to take it. Dr. Phil McCarty was teaching this class in Bible. He usually taught it to the freshman class, but in this case, Gail was a junior, and she was in that class sitting with mostly uh, freshmen. She was in, enrolled in that class by two names, Gail Jackson and Gail Campbell, so she had to take it twice. I'm just glad they didn't make us pay for it twice. But anyway, so she got in that class, and the first thing that he did on the first day of class, he gave them a test. He asked them before he gave the test, he said, it's kind of unusual that a professor would give a test on the first day of class knowing you haven't had any homework assignments, you don't know my teaching styles, you don't know what I might ask and might not ask on a test, but how many of you have been in church? How many of you have been in church all of your lives? How many attended Sunday school? How many attended worship service? How many attended mission organizations on Wednesday night? How many of you attended? And Gail said the overwhelming number of students in that class raised their hand. He said, good, then you should have no problem with this test. It's a basic Bible test. And he handed out the test. Handed out the test. The students sat there and they scratched their head and they thought you could see them counting on their fingers. They were looking at the test. They were trying to look at other people's tests, but you're not supposed to do that in a Christian college. They finally decided. He called time and said, look, we got to take this up. One but 20 questions. You ought to be through by now. Most of them were through. 90% of the class failed a basic Bible test. Ask things like how many disciples were there? How many tribes of Israel were there? Basic Bible class. They just ask basic Bible questions that anybody who attends church on a regular basis ought to know the answers to. You see, I find that there are a lot of Christians who are standing on a foundation, but they're not grounded, rooted, and grounded to that foundation. They haven't applied themselves and attached themselves to the word of God. They haven't taken that word of God and applied it in their heart and their life so that they can live by it. They have not sat down and said there are the things that we will do and the things that we will not do. These things will not happen in my home and these things will happen in my home. This will be a part of my marriage and this will not be a part of my marriage. This will be a part of my raising children and this will not be a part of my raising children. It's not in God's word and we're not going to use it and we're not going to do it. I think for some reason somehow in this day and age where we have so much access to God's word. I used to ask people and, and talk to people and say to people, say, look at them and say, do you have a Bible? And then I see an iPhone in their hand. 
And I said, oh, yeah, you got the Bible. You can go and get your free app from the app store, and you can have 20, 30, all kinds of translations of the Bible. You can have access to the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's because you don't want a Bible. You don't intend to read a Bible if you don't have a Bible. You don't have it on your phone. You don't have it in your home. It's because you don't want it. You can buy it from Walmart to service stations, from Sam's to anywhere. You can buy a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's, I don't want a Bible. It's not not wanting a Bible. It's not wanting to read that Bible and study that Bible and be rooted and grounded in that word. We don't want to hear Paul chastise us. We don't want to hear Paul say, hey, there's some things you don't need to do. And Timothy, there's some things you need to do. Want to stand on the foundation? I don't know if you'll be ready for the storms. But if you're rooted and grounded in God's word, you've taken his word and you've hidden it in your heart so that you will not sin against him, You'll be ready. The storms of life are coming, and they'll come from places and directions you never thought they would come from. They'll come out of people, out of relationships. They'll come when you never thought they would. The storms are coming. Are you, are you built? Are you rooted and grounded on a solid foundation? Do you know what God's word teaches? The Bible says we must be saved. It's not an option. If we're going to experience eternal life, if we're going to be there when the roll is called up yonder, if we're going to stand there in that great number when the books are open and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, we must come in Jesus Christ. We must accept him as our Lord and Savior. We must ask for forgiveness of sin. We must do that you haven't done that today is the day that you may need to do that today is an opportunity for you to come and meet me here at this altar and for us to pray together and for you to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and I will accept him as my savior this would be a great time to do that if you're here today and you say preacher I accepted Jesus years ago but I haven't been in Bible study and I haven't been faithful in praying I haven't turned away from some of the things that I used to do in my early, in my childhood, and in my younger years, and now I know that God wants me to. This would be a good hour and a good time to come and say, Preacher, will you pray for me? Can we talk to the Lord together about rededicating my life and, and reconnecting to the foundation, putting down roots in God's Word so that I won't be blown about by every wind of doctrine? by every historical person and hysterical person that comes along preaching some off the wall something. I will not be moved because I am attached to the word. And the word became flesh in Jesus Christ. I'm on the foundation, but I'm attached to that foundation. Timothy, there's some things you have to do. And if you do them, you won't be in the camp of the unrighteous. You won't be like the man in Psalms 1 who was the wicked. You won't be like the one whose house fell in the midst of the storms. Where are you this morning? And who do you want to be like in this life? Father, we come before your great throne and we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace that is great enough to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
for the faithfulness that comes from your word. Father, that if we will turn our hearts to Jesus, Father, you will accept us and you will cleanse us and you will restore us and you will build us, Father. We thank you. Father, I pray this morning, anyone who needs to make a decision for Christ, they will have the courage and the strength to walk this aisle, to follow Jesus in this hour. And Father, if there's someone here who hasn't been following Jesus, but Father knows Jesus, came to Jesus years ago, but the cares of this world and the struggles of this world have pulled them aside. Father, today to be back on that foundation and put down roots in God's word. Father, I pray, give us strength. Thank you again for the blessings of life you've given to us, and I pray, walk with us in this time. May Jesus be glorified in all that we do, for it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.